Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. just going to tell you ahead of time, I've been fighting uh, electronic demons here this weekend, uh, meaning that stuff just hasn't operated correctly and stuff that I usually uh, like uh, app I usually use to use to preach from or that I have my stuff in when I was down there, it just arbitrarily closed on me like three or so times. So if this morning there's ever a pause and you see me pick up my phone, I'm probably switching to that at same app on my phone. Everything's in the cloud, but the demons of electronics are loose in the earth uh, here this weekend. So we'll see uh, what happens. So if that happens, just bear with me. I don't memorize everything that I'm going to say to you. I know I hate to disappoint, but uh, nonetheless, Philippians chapter number four. So good to see everybody here. Amen today. Amen to any guests that we have. We appreciate you and to some that just haven't been able to be here for some time, whether due to uh, sickness or, you know, trying to stay on the down low from sickness and uh, so on and so forth. We're glad that you're here. Amen. This morning in the house of the Lord. Philippians chapter number four. And uh, this morning, these are some of Paul's final words here to the church at Philippi. And uh, with that being said, and my, my, my uh, objective is really to get through this total chapter. Um, with that being said, there's a lot of just final things that he says that may not necessarily go seamlessly together because he's kind of like, you ever got ready to leave and you're like, oh yes, and oh yeah, and oh yeah, and they didn't have anything to do with each other, but it was kind of, well, welcome to the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter number four. So there's a few things here that may not necessarily seamlessly go together, so I'm kind of going to approach it by a couple different sections, and for that reason, I just called this morning's lesson, Finally Brethren. Uh, because I couldn't just really get a label for it, so it's the best I could do. I'll try better next time. Amen. Philippians 4, I'm going to read the first five verses in your hearing this morning. He says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, he's laying it on thick, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eudas and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true fellow, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord. Here's something he's, he's the, this nail head he has hammered several times. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. He says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Again, this morning, uh, just kind of an umbrella for all of this. Finally, brethren, amen for us this morning. If we can go to the Lord in prayer that he would help us. Father, we need your aid today, God, and your guidance and your help. God, as we look again at the book of Philippians, I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, speak, Lord, through your word. God, and speak, Lord, directly into our own hearts and our lives. I know, God, that we'll be strengthened by the word and its guidance, Lord Jesus, and food for our souls, and we want to accept it as so. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that I pray, amen. Everyone say amen. 
You may be seated this morning. The Apostle Paul, as he would do with every letter, he wraps it up. Their salutations and greetings to certain people that he was writing to, just as you would do in many regards, a typical letter. And so he's going to leave them with some final words. He's going to greet some noble souls that he, he deemed to be uh, recognized. And he's going to come out of the gate in verse number one, though, firstly, with a reference to some of the last verses that we studied last week. He starts by saying, therefore, and uh, the little comical, I say comical, the little thing I always say concerning that whenever there's a therefore, you need to see why it is therefore. All right, because therefore is always pointing backward. There's it's a causation of something because of whatever has been said, whatever has been spoken. Therefore, such and such. And so as the Apostle Paul leads into this next chapter, he starts out by saying, therefore. And so when we go back to where we ended last week, we start to remember some of the things that he was saying in last week. He was finishing up talking about and contrasting some of those uh, among them that may have been minding earthly things. Things compared to some of them that had been minding and looking toward heavenly things. Them that minded heavenly things, if you'll remember, were in a position that they were looking for, expecting, and desiring the coming of their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. They are expecting, those that are heavenly minded were expecting for the Lord to return and change, according to their estimation, their vile bodies right, into his glorious body. And so with these things in mind, Paul is saying, with these that have the expectation of the coming of the Lord in mind, he says, therefore, if we cut out all the mushy stuff he had in there about him, he says, therefore, he says, stand fast in the Lord. He says, as we're waiting for his coming, as we're expecting his coming, as we're waiting for the day for our bodies to be changed, he says, stand fast in the Lord. Don't, don't move, don't waver, but stand fast in the Lord. Because he says, when we have the return of the Lord in our preview, then we need to just hang tight, hold on, Drive our stake, if you will, and wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we need to keep heavenly minded. We need to keep heavenly minded and not be deterred. Whatever it is, whatever the surroundings or circumstances or environment, whatever direction the world is going, we need not to be deterred, amen, from keeping ourselves occupied with heavenly things. I would even say Paul telling us to stand fast was an urge for us to minimize the distractions in our life, to minimize those things that would somehow uh, lure us in other directions. He's telling us because Christ is coming and that cry had been made. It makes me think of the parable of Matthew 25 where we read of the 10 virgins uh, that were waiting for the bridegroom to come. The Bible says there were five foolish and that there were five wise. And uh, the Bible says that the five foolish were those who brought their lamps with oil 
in them, but they did not bring any vessel of extra oil for the lamps. The scripture tells us plainly that they all slumbered and slept as they waited for the bridegroom to return. And whenever the cry was made that behold the bridegroom cometh, the Bible says all of them, all ten, wise and foolish, woke up. They trimmed their lamps, but the foolish turned to the wise and said, do you have any oil where I can replenish my lamp? They said, sorry, we got got enough oil for our lamp you're gonna go have to go take care of the oil for your own lamp and the bible says they went to the city to try to procure some oil and as they had went the bridegroom came amen and took them home because there were five that were really only ready to meet him i believe if we could kind of just stand on top of that parable paul saying the lord is coming that's what we're looking for we got to stand fast the oil has to be in the lamp the wicks got to be trimmed and keep a little extra on the side in case it gets low for replenishing because no man knows the day the hour we know the season We know the times, but no man knows the day or the hour when he will come to get his people. So stand fast in the Lord. And for that matter, throughout New Testament scripture, the the theme or the concept or idea of the Lord's coming is a major emphasis all throughout the New Testament scripture. Time and time again, Paul and other authors or writers of the scripture are constantly pointing the New Testament church toward the idea that the Lord is coming again. The reason why... of course, we have the Gospels, the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. We have Calvary, which is a grand demarcation in history. Amen. But after all of these things, when he ascended, now there's just the hearts and souls of people that are hungering for his return. And so he wants them to know, as he told those two that looked up into heaven, those that looked as were gazing, the Bible says, in heaven as, they, as he was taken. He says, why do you stand here gazing, the angel said, this same Jesus that ye see go away is going to come in like manner. From there forward, through the book of Revelation, he is constantly reminding the people, the church, saints of God, that your Lord is coming back. We need to be reminded of that today. And I don't want to be misunderstood this morning, but if you were to grab an old hymn book and you start looking through all the songs of the old hymns, a majority, I'll say a majority of the songs of the old hymns, you know what their lyrics were about? You know what the story that was told in them was about? It was constantly talking about that day. It's constantly talking about sometime. Won't it be wonderful there? Having no burdens to bear. The cloudless day, that's talking about the rapture. Oh, I want to see him to look upon his face. What are we talking about? When the Lord comes back, I'll fly away. Oh, what are we talking about? When the Lord comes back, why? Because those generations before were of kin to the generation of the Bible. They wanted people to know, live your life with the coming of God in view. Live your life knowing that it could happen any moment, any time. He is coming back. Therefore, Stand fast. Because if we don't talk about the coming of it going to happen, could happen, anytime will happen, then as Brother Malone kind of alluded to today, we'll find ourselves settling in life as though it will never happen. And if it never happens in your lifetime, it will happen. And I want to make sure when I make my bed in the dirt on this earth, that I'm ready when the trump of God 
does sound. In the New Testament, the subject can be found throughout the New Testament. One out of every 20 verses in the New Testament is talking about the coming of the Lord. One in every 20 verses is talking about the coming of the Lord in the New Testament. And so Paul calls the saints at Philippi. He calls them. He addresses them dearly beloved. He is laying on the adjectives uh, and, and rightfully so. Amen. It was a church that that he helped, you know, uh, found and he's pastoring, trying even from prison, you know, by letters, pastoring them. And he calls them his joy and he calls them his crown as he ponders even himself. The day of the Lord's return, not just for himself, but for those that he's been trying to teach because he's thinking these are people that I've invested time in. These are people that I've written to and that I've instructed them and I've taught them. And so these souls, these individuals of the Philippi church was very precious to the apostle Paul. And you'll even remember uh, in, the, in the first chapter, whenever we did our study, Paul said, as oftentimes I even remember you, it brings joy to me whenever I think about you and I think about your maturity and I think about your growth and I think about where you've come from. I think about how far that you have advanced. It has brought me joy. And so as he's reflecting and even looking forward now, that same joy is coming upon him as he looks ahead to the coming of the Lord. Why? Because with great expectation and anticipation, he believes that these people he's been training are going to be a part of that number that no man can number. Amen. And so he calls them, those saints, his crown. Amen. And this is not the first place that Paul does this in the epistles. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 19, the apostle Paul writing to the church of Thessalonica, he says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at what? His coming, he says, for ye are our glory and joy. What's Paul saying? He's saying, whenever I get to heaven someday, all these people that I've had somewhat of an impression on in life, that, that maybe I had something to do with them finding the Lord, staying with the Lord, conditioning their life for the Lord. He said, the crown that's going to be a crown to me is that they're going to be there the same as I am. That they are going to have arrived and made it as I am. That's going to be my crown and hope of rejoicing. The, the greatest reward, Paul says, that I'll have is the people, amen, that I spoke to and talked to that made a decision for the Lord and they're present at the Lord's appearing. He says, you are my glory and my joy, and that's very, very precious unto me. Amen. Then Paul, that's a section of Scripture, all right? Then Paul makes a little which is just verse one. That makes a little shift though then. And with these things in mind, still yet of the coming of the Lord, and please listen to me clearly today, with these things still in mind of the coming of the Lord, Paul turns at the corner and he beseeches, that's the, that's the King James Version biblical word, he beseeches. We don't use that in common language. You know, it's, it's a, uh, dear, I beseech thee, hasten and bring me some stained water for my thirst. We, we don't talk like that, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but that's good old King James Version language. He, Paul, he turns a corner here and he beseeches two women, Yodius and, and Syntyche. He, he, he asked these two women, he says, I ask that you be of the same mind in the Lord. He says, with the coming of the Lord in view, he's really admonishing them this, Sister McGee, he says, I want you two to iron out your differences. 
He says, the coming of the Lord in view, he says, I want you to, I want you to iron out your differences. He beseeches them. The word beseech carries the, the, the meaning of he exhorted them or he begged them or he pleaded with them. This was a very gut-wrenching uh, address really to them that they would work in harmony with one another. And, and it's important to note, he's asking them not to do something they've never done. Because according to scripture, you read here, it, it seems as though previously somewhere in the past, they had worked together in harmony. They'd worked in harmony with the apostle Paul for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of winning souls. But somewhere along the way, as life would have it and has, as living with people has it, come a disagreement, come a, ref, a ruffled feather, little bird slipped in a saddle. And he's just saying, with the coming of the Lord in view, let's, let's get in harmony let, let's get back in harmony. Let, let not this be a prolonged, let not this be a prolonged effect, but let's get in harmony because the coming of the Lord is in view. He says, you, you, there's been a little separation between, uh, you know, you two. And so let, let's get that in view because not only that, he says, sometimes whenever that goes on, that, that causes an overall hindrance then of how you participate in your work for the Lord because, you know, it, it's hard to work alongside somebody that you have something with against feeling it's hard to work along some along somebody whenever that is there so so then look what paul does here this whole mending this is just not a, a separate episode over here he's in prison of course he can only do so much through letter writing right in order to make this good so he, he even calls people on he calls on people in the church to help with this little schism and disagreement between these two ladies this person remains unnamed it's just called he, he talked to his yoke fellow we don't use that language either but he talked to his yoke fellow and it's unnamed. We don't know who this person is. And I think what's so great about that, what that tells me then for the church is it could be anybody. He called them to help. Amen. With this little disagreement, this little schism that you, they had in the body. He says, why don't yoke fellow said, why don't you come and help to, to help mend and uh, help these two ladies, you know, work out uh, the, whatever the fellowship issue may be between them. And, and maybe they have some fellowship issues with the Lord. He says, why don't you come and help out? And whenever he does this, the Bible says he entreated this. He entreated. That's the word used. He entreated this true yoke fellow. Now, uh, what I want to point out today, the word entreat carries this idea of that he was very authoritative in his request concerning this yoke fellow. The way that he approaches these two groups are vastly different. One person who seems to be, to be well, solidified in their walk with God, the yoke fellow, he with authority says, hey, help this out. And with these two that are having a disagreement, he's a little more ginger and he begs and he pleads that they would get this thing worked out among themselves. The Apostle Paul is a very wise man because he deals gingerly with those that already have something a little bit off-kelter, but the one that he knows, a soldier just waiting at stand in the church, everything's all right. With authority, he commends that they ought to help. Paul is a very, very wise man. He pleads and beseeches with one, and he entreats the other. Notice now, that's, that's wise for Paul. Because listen, when somebody already's got issues, whew, sometimes it takes a lot of beseeching, and pleading, begging, so on and so forth. Because if you were to be overly authoritative, 
It's over. Amen. The Bible says, Galatians 6.1, Paul writing again, he says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, that can be interpreted as sin, it can be interpreted as misdeed, it can be interpreted as any type of lapse that a person would have. If a man be overtaken in a fault, and man is not just for the male gender, I know. Ladies, you're included. Man in the scripture many times is just a generality for all humanity. All right? Although you was punching your husband right then, said, yep, you're usually the one that's fallen to faults. All right? It's everybody. He says, ye which are spiritual, restore. Or in other words, render to completion or mend them unto completion. He says, such a one in the spirit, look, of meekness. He says, the way you're going to accomplish this is by being meek or gentle about it. Doing it in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And so again, Paul's wisdom, Paul's wisdom in dealing with the people, with those that are missing in action, so to speak, Paul begs, and with those that are ready at the command, he commands, all right? Amen, it's Paul's wisdom, amen. He's gonna do this, gonna help restore, the spiritual will help restore by a spirit of meekness, a spirit of gentleness. I ask you this, and this is the way I guess we should ask ourselves whenever we are called upon as yoke fellows to help out to men, how would you like to be handled if you we're in the same predicament. Amen. We don't know this yoke fellow. Maybe we need to start passing around the label, brother or yoke fellow, sister yoke fellow. But by the title alone, this is what we know of this individual. Is that they are evidently, this individual is evidently one who pulls well in a double harness. What are you talking about, Brother McGee? Well, yoke many times in the scripture. Not always, but many times. A yoke can be a solitary place for an animal. But most times a yoke had two spots for two animals where they were joined together to do a common work. And Paul calls this person a true yoke fellow, which meant that he must have fared pretty well being in a harness with somebody else. So he's taking someone that fares pretty well and be in a harness with somebody else to go talk to two ladies that are not doing very well about being in the same harness and doing the same work. And so he calls out, yoke fellow, he says, I want you, I want you to help them. If, if, I can, if I can say it like this and speak for the apostle Paul, I want you to remind them what it's like, amen, to labor toward the same work and be in the same yoke. I want you to remind them what, it, what it's like to play as a team. I want you to remind them. I want you to somehow just revisit the joy that it brings to your life whenever you guys are cooperative. He says, because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. And so that's good advice for any church. That's good advice for Philippi, for Thessalonica, amen, for Corinth. That's good advice for First Apostolic Church, amen, right here. He told them, he said, listen, this is what we need to do. And he goes on and says, and let your moderation be known unto all men. Now, the word moderation can have several shades of meaning, but in essence, and there are many, but its essence is this, let your sweet reasonableness be known to all men. Because what's going to happen here? How's the yoke fellow going to deal with them? How Paul dealt with them? Hopefully how they will eventually be dealing with each other. Listen, anytime that goes on, look what's happening. There's always observers. There's always observers. He says, 
that your moderation, that your sweet reasonableness will be known unto all men. Jesus said something similar in the Gospels. In John 13 and verse 35, Jesus said, he said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. You know what I believe Jesus is saying? He said, people's going to know that you're disciples of mine because of your sweet reasonableness, your love between one another. And so it is, it is, it is uh, incumbent, it is important uh, for the church uh, to display sweet reasonableness for all men, amen, within the body, particularly because we have witnesses, observers at all times. And so God, even in Romans 12, he asked of us, he, he asked of us of our reasonable service. He said, I uh, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God asked that of us, and I believe that same reasonableness that he asked of us, we ought, when we can, should try, endeavor to extend it to each other. Amen, amen, amen. Lest we, someone say me, be overtaken in a disagreement or a fault. And I need the same extended to me because, listen, you will somewhere along the road. If it's not happened yet, God bless you. Holy Ghost infilling. Thank you, Jesus. But listen to pastor before you die. It's going to happen somewhere along the road. And you're going to want to have expressed to you sweet reasonableness. Amen. As you are dealt with. And so Paul led with this, the coming of the Lord. Amen. Let's go to verse number six if we, if we can today. The Bible says, be careful for nothing. But, and just, just pause real quick. That doesn't mean be reckless, okay? Our, our definition of careful and what scripture has is two different things. All right. Someone's like, all right. I've already got that one on the list. May I do that? Be reckless. Okay. Uh, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true and whatsoever things are honest and whatsoever things are just and whatsoever things are pure and whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which we have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. He says, be careful for nothing. It's encouraging to me. And to be careful for nothing, you read other translations of scriptures. It's basically worry, worry about nothing. Be anxious, be anxious for nothing. Uh, we know mankind, it worries, it's anxious over things that happen sometime. And so it's encouraging for me to know that in every generation, there must be a reminder and this is really the reminder of these sections of verses is the reminder for us not to worry, but instead pray. Not to be anxious, but instead pray, because that's what Paul's basically doing to the church of Philippi here. Have you ever have you ever been dealing with something in your own life or some circumstance in your own life? And someone has asked you the question, well, have you prayed about it? Has that ever happened? Because pretty much what Paul's doing here in Scripture like they got whatever they got going on in their lives. And it's like, he's just pausing here for a moment. Like, have you prayed about it? 
Because, again, prayer sometimes on the priority list is more of a last resort than a first resort. And so Paul is trying to gear, make the default the default resort, the default res- the, uh, uh, option of Christians that when things start coming to worry and anxious, go to prayer. Go to prayer. He says to be careful for nothing. Again, be anxious for nothing. Worry about nothing. But he says, but, here's the contrast, but in everything by prayer. If I can say it as concisely as I can say it this morning, this section is about this. Worry about nothing, but pray about everything. Worry about nothing, but pray about everything. Don't, don't, don't be careful. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. And when we talk about the word careful or worry and anxious, that word actually means that it's someone that's being pulled in a variety of directions. It's someone that's being pulled in different directions. It even carries a connotation to a, a being or feeling like you're being strangled. Interestingly enough, when we worry or get anxious, we exhibit basically two things. Listen to me. You may identify with this. We exhibit two things. Wrong thinking. Worry. When you're worried or anxious, wrong thinking, which happens a lot in the mind. And what that produces then is wrong feelings, which the heart is a very, very good proponent of of the feeling or the core of man. So whenever you're anxious, whenever you're troubled, whenever you're worried, you're practicing wrong thinking and wrong feelings. And that affects both your heart and mind. And look what Paul says. He says, if you'll be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Then the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall what? Keep your hearts and your minds. Your worry is producing wrong thinking mind and wrong feeling heart. He says, but if you'll go to prayer, God will come on the scene with peace and take care of the mind and the heart. Amen. And so this is how cool God is. And scripture is when we begin to think about this, when we would think differently, when we would feel wrongly. God is like our peace. He is, he is guarding uh, our hearts. He is watching over our hearts. To keep it is to guard over it. He's watching over our thoughts because we prayed about it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, the world is falling apart around us, but I went to prayer and now standing guard over my thoughts and standing guard over my heart is the peace of God. Did it change my circumstances? No, but it changed how I think and feel about it. Change my circumstances? No, it may not change your circumstances, but it can change you in your circumstances. And I need that type of God. I need that type of peace because there's always going to be something else I can be worried about, anxious about, feel different about, have wrong feelings and wrong thoughts about. And I need the peace of God. Oh, Brother McGee, I wish I had the peace of God. Well, be careful, be anxious, be worried about nothing, then pray about everything. Amen. And please note here in the scripture, the God of peace or God's peace, important, simple, but important, comes on the heels of prayer. God's peace comes on the heels of prayer. Listen to me. It didn't say God's peace comes on the heels of answered prayer. Just the simple act of praying within itself. 
answered or unanswered. God's peace comes on the heels of prayer. And when we pray unto the Lord with a heart of thanksgiving, we make our requests known unto him. It's just a peace of God that comes alongside us to guard our hearts and minds. And what I believe then in that moment, Bishop McGee, is then that I'll be able to navigate or endure whatever the situation may be, whatever the circumstance may be, because the peace that God gives, it says it is past understanding. It is past understanding. For that matter, it's probably past understanding how you can navigate through some of the things that you navigate through in life whenever you pray. And the observers are saying, how in the world are they just keeping going? How in the world are they keeping their head up and their shoulders back and just continuing to go on? I'll tell you how. Because someone worried it said, I'm going to go just give this worry to God and I'm going to go to prayer. And the peace of God comes in and guards the heart and guards the mind. And we're able to navigate through some things. We would we think to ourselves, I'm, you know, when it starts, like I'll never be able to get through this. And then God comes alongside us and he provides the peace that passes all understanding. Amen. Because it's, listen, it's not the will or personality of Paul to be able to go through the, some of the things I go through in human life without screaming, jerking like a child and saying it's unfair. But when I go to prayer, whew, that presence rushes in. Paul even advises us. He says, I want you to think good thoughts. That's uh, Philippians 4, 8. I know whenever I was a young child, it was a memory verse probably for every individual that ever went through Sunday school class to remember Philippians 4 and 8 and be able to quote it. And so he advises us. He says, so the peace of God's going to come in. He says, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to think good thoughts. All right? You're going to have to think good thoughts. And here, here's why. Because good thoughts lead to good deeds. Good thoughts, good thought patterns have good actions. One affects the other. Patterns are, thought patterns are uh, do affect or help determine behavior. Does. Uh, a person a person doesn't wake up one day and murder someone they thought about it usually somewhere along the way and if they thought about it a whole lot they're going to go in a court system and be charged for premeditated murder right if it came out your mouth or it was acted on in your body whether you are consciously aware of it or not it was a thought and so that dictates behavior and so he says think on these things stuff that's true stuff that's honest stuff that's pure Lovely, good report. There's not one negative thing there he asks us to think about. Pure, lovely, good report. And then he finally, and unless you thought that was the sum total of the list, he finally then sums it up like this. If, if, the, if the thing is a virtuous thing, if the thing is a, a moral, good, excellent thing, if the thing, if it has any praise, if it's praiseworthy, if it's a commendable thing, he said, I'm broadening your list right now. If it fits those qu qualifications of being virtuous and praiseworthy by means think on that yeah because listen we can get in the negativity trench it doesn't take much and I'm telling you from experience it doesn't take much for a negative thought to manifest and turn into many negative thoughts and then start thinking thoughts that are not even there not not even pertinent, real. It is a slippery slope.
to turn toward negativity. And so Paul says, here's, here's a good list to start with. I'm giving you a sample list. He said, but if there's virtue or if it's praiseworthy, think on those things. Why? Because it's going to help your behavior. It's going to help your behavior. And then he switches. He says these things. He says, he says, you think on these things. And then he turns in verse 9 and says those things. He's not talking about those that I just mentioned. He's talking about something mentioned a fourth time. He said those things that you learned, those things you received, those things you heard, those things that you've seen me even do as an example. He says, do them. And he says, I want you to practice them. And the God of peace is going to be with you all along while you're thinking this and doing this, helping protect your heart and mind as you're walking through this deep valley or as you're facing these insurmountable circumstances, as life is not being very kind to you because you prayed. Amen. Verse number 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now... At the last, your care of me have flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of one, Paul says, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And that's not necessarily referring to the fact that if you're in Illinois, you'd be content with Illinois, although I think that's quite possible. You, you know, you can accept that as well, but amen. It's not talking about a state in the United States. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. In everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do, Bishop's quoted this to us for years. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with me in my affliction. In other words, said you helped me, you come alongside me in my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me. In other words, no one was helping me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. You helped, you contributed, you gave. Not because I desire a gift. This is important this morning. Underline it in your Bibles. Paul says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full. Having received of Ephroditus, if you remember us talking about him, the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God, this is not, there's a lot of verses for Bishop in chapter 4 that he loves. If he ever dies someday, I guess we'll just read Philippians 4 because there's a lot of verses in here that he loves. But my God, you've heard him say this one, shall apply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Paul says, I've learned how to be content. What a lesson to learn. What a lesson to learn. Because of distance between him and the Philippian believers, Paul being in jail and them being uh, in Philippi, it wasn't always possible for them to get financial aid or practical aid to Paul because of the distance that was between them. But Paul just generally states that when you had opportunity, you accomplished it. Whenever you could get it done and you could get it to me, you did. It wasn't for lack of one. It wasn't for lack that you weren't put placing aside. It's just literally, literally a distance logistic problem. He says, but when you had opportunity, you got it to me. He says, but I've learned to be content. Paul tells him, through my life, I've been, in diff- I've been, on, sh- I've been on ship. I've been in prison. I- I've-, I've been traveling alone on journeys uh, without food. He says, I've learned to, to be abased. In other words, I've learned to go without. I've learned 
how to abound. I've learned how to live whenever there was surplus. I've been on both ends of the spectrums and in between. He said, I've learned in whatever state to be content. He says, I've been full sometimes and I've been content. There's times I've been hungry and guess what? I've found out how to be content. There's been times I've abounded, but there's been times I've suffered need and I've learned how to be content. Paul says, I've learned how to row with it. All right. In layman's terms, I've learned how to row with it. And by, for that matter, Christ, Christ can do all things through me. Amen. I can do all things through Christ. He says, I can suffer need if necessary through Christ. And I can, because here's the part would say, well, you know, through Christ, you can suffer abundance. Yeah. What is there in suffering when everything's abounding? Pride? Success has killed more men than failure ever has. He says, so abounding or abasing, he said, I can do all things, amen, through Christ. Amen, he gives me strength for the suffering just as much as he gives me strength for the succeeding. And though that may be the case, Paul didn't want to seem unthankful to the church of Philippi or toward them or their help because he had needs along the way in his ministry, in his journeys to each church. He had needs along the way that they helped the Philippian church and he denotes them. They were some of the only ones, the first ones to help in spreading the gospel and faithfully supporting the ministry for the spread of the gospel to these different places. But as I pointed out to you, please look at verse number 7. Brother Mason, this is very important. As I studied this this past week, Paul says, I did not desire, I did not desire or want the gift that was going to help support the ministry, amen, because I wanted it for myself. He said, I was eager for your giving and support of the ministry because of the fruit that was going to increase in your life and on your account as a result of it. In other words, he says, yes, your generosity was beneficial to the spreading of the gospel. He says, but I want to point out that your generosity, amen, was beneficial to your own account. Paul is telling us that something, hear me this morning, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Paul is telling us that something is credited to your account when you give toward the purpose of spreading the gospel through virtue of ministry. Hear me. It says in the English Standard Bible, this verse, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He says in the message, Eugene Peterson says, I do want you to experience, listen to me, I do want you to experience the blessing that issues from generosity. Someone say amen. Proverbs eleven twenty four. Look at it. Proverbs eleven twenty four. There is that scattereth, basically means disperse, and yet increaseth. Dispersing, scattering, yet increasing. And there is that withholdeth, keep back. The word also means keep for oneself. More than is meat, more than is due, more than is right. But it tendeth to poverty. Verse 25. The liberal so, quite literally translated, the giving so shall be made fat. I'm not talking about your weight. 
and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, understood that a generous person has increase in their own life. It goes against everything that we can think of that I'm giving away and increasing. That's a good principle right there. It goes against the mindset of humanity. It doesn't make sense. And much of God in Scripture don't make sense to die to live. Hear me. He says, though, through your generosity, you increase. Through your giving, he says, you increase. He says, if you'll disperse, disperse and scatter it, he says, there's increase. But the contrary, if you withhold and keep Keep something that is more than your due. It lendeth to poverty. Solomon understood this. See, listen, it's not just what was given. And this, this is a biblical principle. It's not just what is given comes back. But he said you increase. If it was just what was given comes back, you just broke even. You hear me? But he says when you give what comes back, you Increase. And again, this, this, this isn't simply about giving or not giving. You hear me today? Is everybody okay? Okay. Amen. This isn't just simply about giving or not giving. Listen, it's about what we withhold. It's about keeping for oneself more than is their due. Keeping, that's the word withholdeth. Keeping for oneself, and the Bible says more than that which is, which is uh, meat, I believe is the word, which is uh, translated do or right. Is everybody okay? Just, just being pastor here for a little bit today. All right. Whenever we tithe. And the Lord has set the prescription of tithe from the Old Testament forward into the New Testament of 10% of our gross income, of 10% of all of our increase. If we withhold more than our due. What's my due? The 90%. If we withhold more than our due. Solomon, the wisest man that is attested in Scripture, the wisest man that ever was, probably ever will be, says, we lendeth unto poverty. But when we disperse and scatter, through generosity, he said there's increase. Brother McGee, that does not make a lick of sense. Welcome to the kingdom of God. It doesn't make sense when a person has cancer and then the report comes back they don't have cancer. It doesn't make sense that I'm born into the family of God whenever I begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. It doesn't make sense that a sin black sick soul can go down in clear water and come up covered by the blood. won't we won't bypass those areas amen well glory so there's a rendering of the word fat again that's not your weight here in the hebrew and this is interesting here in the hebrew brother mason this even lends to a word a root word for for being anointed that the liberal so shall be made fat the liberal so shall be anointed 
Paul said, I don't desire your gift because of what it helps me do. He said, I appreciate that, and I appreciate what it accomplishes. He says, but I desire, again, verse 17, because how it's going to turn and impact your account. That's what he says. He says, so I thank you. I thank you. He says, I'm, I'm at a full mark because you sent Ephroditus and he has contributed and he likened Ephroditus' gift to a sweet-smelling savor, uh, like an Old Testament sacrifice. Every sacrifice had uh, frankincense that was sprinkled on it uh, because when you burn flesh, some of these guys that work as EMTs know it's not a pleasant smell. Anybody that's been in military and had to pick up carcasses on the ground after a war, no, it's not a pleasant smell. And so they would put uh, frankincense on these offerings that were burnt offerings to God. And God says, that's a sweet-smelling savor. And how in the world can burnt flesh because there's incense on it? And, sweet smell. and Paul says, that's like your sacrifice, your giving. It puts a sweet-smelling, uh, acceptable smell in the nostrils of God. And so that is, exactly, that is exactly what we desire to offer unto the Lord, an, accept, an acceptable, well-pleasing sacrifice to God. Amen. Listen, our giving is a sacrifice. Our giving is a sacrifice. And it is then in that respect, as the metaphor and the analogy that Paul gives referring to the Old Testament sacrifice, that was their means of worship. You hearing me? That's the reason why we say when we're about ready to dismiss classes and we pray over the offering, we ask you to participate in this other form of because it is just that. The moment that we go by and we make our contribution, whether it's our free will offering of whatever you decide or your tithe, which God's prescribed. Amen. As you do that, there's a sweet smelling, amen, acceptable, well-pleasing aroma going up to heaven in that time of worship. The Philippians, they supported Paul financially while he was with them. They supported him when he was at Thessalonica. They supported him when he was at Corinth. And they're supporting him right now while he is in prison. Now listen, is everybody doing all right? I'm, I know I'm probably over time, Brother Mason, and everybody else in here. I'm aware. But, listen, please. And I'm doing this. Not to in your face, condense. I'm doing this just for a reality. The Philippians were not rich people. Hear me. I said they were not. The Philippians were poor. And yet they contributed. And you can read this in your Bible, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5. It's speaking of the Philippians. They contributed to those in need in Jerusalem. But the Philippians were poverty-stricken people themselves. This is what Paul says in verse 2, speaking of the Philippians, their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. He says they were literally, physically, socioeconomically impoverished people he said but they were rich when it came to their free willingness to give and be liberal with what God had given under their hand of they might have been rich in this earth but they might have been poor in this earth but they were rich in their generosity and guess what that came back on their account that was credited back on their Going all the way back. I'm trying to see where I am here. Oh, God help us. 
And I'm going, and that's not a glitch of electronics. It's the truth. Going all the way back to the beginning of this series. Remember, part of the Philippians' participation, their partnership involved their gracious contribution. When he was inviting them into that participation or partnership and fellowship, it's part of their contribution, their gracious contribution. Again, not wealthy doesn't determine it. Willingness determines it. So the Philippian church sent a sacrificial gift in verse 17 by the hand of Aphrodite as he came. Nothing was lost. Listen, please, folks, I'm telling you, there's some little principles right here that are really good in God's word. They sent Aphrodite to send the gift. These poverty-stricken people, listen to me, but nothing was lost because he follows up then, Bishop, one of your favorite verses, verse 19. They gave their poverty stricken, but nothing was lost, Brother Fred, because, but my God shall supply all your need. They weren't, mm-mm-mm-mm. hear me. How can you do this, Philippians? If you are generous, you'll be even more impoverished. If you are generous, you're going to be bankrupt. If you are generous, life as you know it's going to deplete that much more. If you're generous, but Paul says, reckon well, you're not going to be bankrupt. You're not going to be depleted. You're not going to be even further below the poverty level. He says, but my God shall supply all your need, but according to his riches. Hey, 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 don't tell me I can't do it. You can do it because my God shall supply all of your needs. I can't give toward that. I can't give 10% of my income. Oh, yes, but my God shall supply. Oh, you've come way too late to tell this former evangelist that God doesn't supply. You've come way too late to tell this person I can go back in the records. I have a calendar where it was written on the day that says I had one dollar in my account on the road, but every bill was paid. Everything was taken care of. Not knowing where the next preaching engagement is, you're not come too late to tell me. I tried to be generous and God says I'm going to put something on your account. Too late to tell this preacher. Too late. can convince me of a lot of things but you're not going to convince me that God's going to turn his back close his eyes and forget about you and your generosity too late And he supplies, but my God will supply all of your need. Everybody say according. According to his riches and glory. He doesn't even say he'll supply your need from his riches. He says he'll supply it according to. In other words, 
His giving supply to credit our account is in proportion to his own riches. How unfathomable. That's the, the King James biblical word. Unfathomable are the riches of God. He says, I'll supply your name according to that proportion. Stand with me. I'll try close. Proverbs 3 and 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase so that thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. With your substance, with the first fruits of all thine increase. That doesn't sound like their giving bankrupted them. That doesn't sound like it drained them. It sounds like his riches came in all forms and all ways. And there was plenty and there was bursting out, as the scripture describes here. It's abounding to their account. Last few verses, I'm not going to read them. Apostle Paul's given salutations in the ending of his letter. I will just point out one particular of the salutations that are giving. Particularly, he says that basically the saints of Caesar's house greet you, Philippians. The saints of Caesar's house greet you, Philippians. Some Gentiles, uh, Gentiles like you are, they greet you. Just real quickly, just a little concept here. Those of Caesar's house. So there are some in this hour in Philippians of Caesar's household. Listen, this is the emperor of Rome. This is the big daddy. This is the high potentate. All right? This is the echelon of Roman Empire. There were people living in the emperor's household that revered and that worshipped God instead of like they should have in Rome, revered and worshipped the emperor. Paul says, there's some of Caesar's house that want to greet you. Let me ask you a question. I wonder how difficult it was to serve God and yet be employed in Caesar's house. I'm, I'm not a, a biblical historian, but I'm going to tell you something. That wouldn't have been nothing to wink at, to try to live for God and be in Caesar's household. And yet, they did it. And I think the, the sounding idea then for us as he closes out the book is that if there are some saints, some people, that can live for God in Caesar's household, Philippians, I think you can live for God where you're located. I think you can live for God where you are and for us where we are in our time, in our generation. Can we close our eyes and lift our hands today? Oh, I love you, Jesus. Mm. God, I thank you and I love you and I worship you, O oh Lord. 
Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.